We're back. Again. Yes. More artificial intelligence. Um, so we, uh, so this is part two of our AI series here. Um, last episode, we talked about uh, the October 30th, 2023 fact sheet. Uh, President Biden issues executive order on safe, secure, and trustworthy artificial intelligence. We need to talk about the blueprint for an AI bill of rights. Right on. And, it, you know, I thought it was interesting. And if you listen to the previous episode, um, you'll hear us talking about the fact that, hey, we're going to talk about the executive order, then we're talking about this. But at the end of the last episode, Justin made a couple of comments that were directly in line with why I think this document, which has its flaws, could be made to be more helpful. Because what Justin was talking about was using these types of documents as an opportunity to induce cl introduce clarity. Artificial intelligence will be defined six different ways by six different people. And when you're trying to do things like issue an executive order that's describing the way it should function or the way it should be developed, it would be helpful if people knew what we were talking about. There's a lot of fear, and I think a lot of that fear is based on people not really understanding how things work. And this might make a great opportunity for us to talk about that. And so, Justin, as we sort of jump into the AI Bill of Rights, I think it's a great time to bring up some of that clarity because a Bill of Rights is by its nature kind of a high-level thing. Um, and maybe we can talk a little bit about how some of the language that's used in it may be less helpful than it could be. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've read the, the, the blueprint for mm -hmm. the Bill of Rights. What was, what was your first take on it? It uses words like safe and effective. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what that means. Um, we had a great episode with Diana Kelly talking about um, ML security <laughs> operations, right, for improving the security of the way you think about training your systems, what have you. The word training is actually used in a couple of these, di these documents in interesting ways. But I don't know from really from reading this what safe means. Does safe mean not harmful? Does safe mean it will continue to operate the way I expect it to? Does safe mean that it's not vulnerable to infection? What exactly does safe mean? And I think, you know, um, policy writers like using words like safe and effective because it makes people feel good inside. But in terms of clarity, I don't really know what they mean. And I would, I would flip it around sure. to the other way and say um, one of the... One of the premises in here is they talk about safe and effective systems, but they said you should be protected from unsafe and ineffective systems, hmm. which is the other side. So you start from one end, I'll start from the other. Maybe we meet in the middle. Cool. Well, let's, yeah. let, let's talk about the first sentence as they're talking yeah. about how one introduces safety into these systems, right? Now, so two lines, one after another. First one I'm saying, then the one he's saying, they were directly after each other. They should be developed in consultation with diverse community stakeholders and domain experts to identify concerns, risks, and potential impacts of the system. So if we just start with that, right, that's like how am I going to set up the requirements for what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to work, and then how will I, knew, how will I know if it gets there? And then the, the second bit of it is how am I going to do an ongoing series of checks to make sure that it stays pretty safe? And without rehashing the whole last episode, wouldn't it have been nice if we did this for software ever? Right. right. But now we're going to apply it here. And so what I'm getting is, from my definition, reading of this definition, safe means it's going to function the way it's expected. Okay. Does that make sense to you? It does. Um, function as expected by a rationally minded, commercially reasonable individual. Right on. Right, <laughs> right on. 
Um, which also would say the opposite is have to be true. So you've also put steps in place to evaluate boundary systems that might otherwise be considered unsafe because they don't fit into your definition of safe. That's exactly right, right? I think what they're saying is they're, they're, they're touching super, super lightly on make sure the system can't do horrible things you didn't intend for it to do, which is sort of like that proving a negative. Yeah. Super hard. Right. Yeah, you're, try- you're, you're trying to prove the absence of something. Right. right. How do I prove it can't be used to do something horrible? Which is also an uncommonly high bar if you stop and think about it. You, we don't make sure that cars can't run into people, right? We don't make sure that um, electrical cords can't be shorted out. There are very few things that we make sure cannot be misused in a way that can be malicious. But we are suggesting we should do that in the case of software and AI. Yeah, that it's, it's an interesting example that you just gave, right? It was saying um, you can maybe try to put some of those protections in place, but at some point there's going to be boundaries on what's reasonable and what you can do. Mm-hmm. But you're requiring, you now require others to step in and do their part as part of a shared model, right? Mm-hmm. So like in that example, right, I'm saying make sure, I forget the exact word you said, but cars can't sure. hit people, right? It's not the car's issue at that point. Now it's the planning commission to put the crosswalks in at certain places, so everybody kind of plays a role in this. Yeah, and drivers ed. And dri- there you go. And, and we can keep officers. going. Yep. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. Um, but we, we don't have <laughs> no. we don't have crosswalks. We have we have none of it. Yeah. Right. And here here is sort of like the assumption is, and we've done a poor job in the past. We don't even make sure that the cars can't go seven hundred miles an hour, and we don't even make sure that the cars have brakes at work. There's none of that in software. Right. Right? We just say, well, goes here to there. And if the brakes don't work, you know, it wasn't, you were supposed to stop. You know, you're supposed to be afraid Flintstone, put your feet to the bottom and stop. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Brakes were a feature that is on the roadmap for release. (laughs) For later release. Yeah. Yeah. You you want good brakes, pay extra. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, so for me, it's, it's a really interesting conundrum to try to demand this, because the thing that's missing here, and again, we talked about it briefly in the last episode, but one of the reasons why a car doesn't go 600 miles an hour, even if it could, is because you're not supposed to. You mentioned a crosswalk. If I blow through a crosswalk, at least in the state of Massachusetts, then that's illegal, right, if somebody's walking in it. There are laws, think of it as societal mores, which say you behave a certain way as the responsible driver of an automobile. And I don't think those same things exist in this world of, of software and AI in particular. Mm. Take it one step further. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, so those laws are intended for rational human beings, right? So using mass as an example, right? Um, you don't even have to be in a crosswalk. If you step out into a street or you, and you are within 10 feet of a vehicle, you are considered like... Uh, you're, you're in a zone that's considered to be equivalent to a crosswalk. So if someone steps off a curb and you hit them, you are responsible. I was not aware of that. So we have laws for rational people, but we're talking about automated systems where laws also wouldn't apply because contrary to popular belief, those automated systems don't always read our laws. Truth. And, and some people, I don't think that bank robbers stop at crosswalks. That's true. Right? And so they're not obeying the laws either. But there is a net that's meant to catch them, right? There is a legal system for all its foibles. 
there's a legal system that's supposed to keep people from doing things that we think are destructive for society. Yeah. So maybe that's when we talk about a bill of rights saying, as an example, um, I have a right to the pursuit of happiness. And so if you imprison me or if you kidnap me or if you like tie me up and stuff, then I don't, I'm not allowed to exercise those rights. And so I have a cause of action, right? Maybe what we're talking about again is there needs to be a, a cause of action. Let's keep going with that. Excellent. So if we, so if there was a cause of action on something like this, what would be, like, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Like, how would you reframe that for this? If the cost of preventing that, so the testing or the surrounding, you know, mitigating controls costs less than the damage times its likelihood, then whoever built it and let me use it is negligent. Basically, yeah. I think that, that to me makes sense because it's not a, a law, meaning that it's not, you will test this way because you've mentioned maybe today or at least in the other episode how hard it is to regulate a standard that people actually are forced to follow because that force thing is just very, 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 very hard. But I think negligence is something that you inspire attorneys to pursue, mm-hmm. right? And the inspiration to the attorneys, and this is, this is not saying I'm a big fan of tort law, but the inspiration of the attorneys will drive better behaviors if there's a negative consequence. Because right now there's no negative consequence. Yeah, so it would be, uh, you're almost creating a structure that gives attorneys the policing authority, gives them some teeth Yeah, to kind of s- sink into this. Of course, many attorneys as there are in our world, so someone's going to find a way. Right. If they all went into cybersecurity, we may close the skills gap. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. All right. So the next Bill of Rights is that as an individual, you will not face algorithmic discrimination. Now, I mean, this is, this is so like hot topic area, so I don't want to get into the specific groups or individuals that it's intended to protect. But algorithms, by their nature, the reason why they exist is to discriminate. They discriminate solution A versus solution B. They demonstrate, they discriminate and, and try to determine prediction A versus prediction B. Algorithms, by definition, discriminate between options. So I'm not sure that you want a Bill of Rights that says algorithmic discrimination is evil since that just means algorithms are evil. What I think it's trying to say is, and I would reframe this to say, you will not use an unmonitored, unmanaged algorithm to make decisions that could negatively affect individual populations. So now it's not about the algorithm. We're not going to pretend it's a tech problem. This is a lazy human problem. If you're going to use an algorithm to do most of the math, God bless you. But there's got to be a human who raises their hand and says, I believe that this algorithm has produced a result for me that I can use in making a fair and effective judgment, recognizing the diversity of my audience and and the the cultural mores that we hold as a society. What do you think of that? It's nice. This this one's going to be tough. It's tough. Mm. I mean, think about the nature of AI models, right? They have to be trained. You can't train them on an entire societal norm. Right on. Right. So it's going to be trained on a smaller population of people that are inferred across a wider population, and we know that can't always be true. Right on. So, yeah, it's this tough one. Well, and as we mentioned sort of briefly in the last show, if I am training 
to your point, it's retrospective. I am training on the data as it exists today. Yeah. If as a society we're trying to grow and be more encompassing, more embracing, more open, bigger tent for everybody, I don't want to make my decisions based on the exact same thing I'm trying to change from. Right. Then you have to have a mechanism to untrain or self-correct. Right. And, and for me, that's the human, right? You put the human in the loop. You, you put the, the woman on top of the button that says this. You put the, the person on top of the push of the button that says this is a good decision, right? Yeah. You want a human in that loop because that way they get to apply intelligence and perspective and forward-thinking goals to the decision that's made, but based in the algorithmic understanding of what the data says. You know, it could say the algorithm recommends this. You know what? Two or three times, I'm going to go a different way. It's a <coughs> tough example, but it makes me think of like the uh, the the nuke button, mm. right? We're saying like no 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 individual person can like solely launch a nuke. Like there's got to be multiple people like turning the key at the same time and putting in the code. Um, and the, I would imagine that in a perfect no, I don't want to say perfect, but like in an ideal system, right? You have like multiple people all like putting in their vote to validate it, and if you have like three out of four people like vote or like validate, then it's a good validation and it passes through. If there's one of four, then it stalls. So, you know, we're trying to use this episode and this document as an opportunity to introduce some clarity. So what I'd say is from a clarity perspective, the concern is that a retrospective methodology for training algorithms and the AI outcomes is naturally not going to keep up with our mores and our changing culture. So for Clarity's perspective, when we talk about algorithmic discrimination protections, what we're really talking about is that the outcomes of the use of algorithms should not perpetuate discrimination. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Nice. Makes sense. Cool. Hey, next one, one of our favorites, is the data privacy topic again. So for all of you out there, you have a right to data privacy. You have none but you have a right to data privacy, at least according to this. You may never get a service again. <laughs> Fact, right? You'll have to disassociate yourself from just about everything. Yeah. And this, this one, for me, is sort of the most laughable, right? Yeah. We, we, we may have a right to data privacy, but because no one has ever taken the time to help the general public really understand the cost of the services that they choose to engage with, Right, whether it's the social media platforms or the purchasing platforms or the local e-commerce supplier or even the way you interact with uh, your local newspaper. right? Everybody gives up their right to privacy. And I think they do it, quote-unquote, intentionally because you click on something that says, as a client of the service, I recognize that my data may be used to help me, right? and they hit the button, and it's all gone. And earlier on, we were talking about sort of the brokerage of data, Right and stuff getting sold, so data privacy, not so much. Yeah. And so I think pretending that it's a right sets a false expectation. This is my problem with this part of the document: is someone who innocently reads this and says, "This is great." The, this document linked to by the executive order says they're going to ensure that I have data privacy, as opposed to saying you're responsible for your data privacy. Right. The same thing could say you have the right to demand a certain level of service without giving up all your private data. To me, that would be the Bill of Rights kind of thing to say, yeah. whether to AI or to something else. But for me, that's the, like, the, the crux of the question for data privacy. I want to run with that last one. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's, uh, I think it's a, it's a brilliant statement. And I think it's, um, 
I mean, one of the one of the problems with this, in my opinion, I feel like we've over rotated on the definition of what it means to have private data, right? Like we've just put so much legalese on it, and we've put so much structure on it. Uh, anybody who's trying to put together a disclaimer or notification or whatever it is, um, they've totally over rotated on it, and because of it, it's now binary. Mm. It's a binary thing, which I don't feel like it necessarily needs to be. Especially to your last point of saying if there was a middle road, right, which is saying like let's let's loosen up the requirements a little bit and saying like it doesn't have to be like all 50 things, right? We're saying like you either like opt in for all or opt in for none and then you miss out on your service. Is like let's find a middle ground of like what really constitutes private data and like let's focus there. Now when we build services or products or whatever it is saying we have data that is like sacred you don't share it and it's uh everything that kind of goes in the bucket everything else i don't know take a pass right this generally public information um but now it's saying you can can you might it might be easier under that model to consume services in a private way because right now like to your point like it's all or nothing Mm -hmm. like either i'm gonna make my life easier by consuming technology and automation and everything that that makes my day go a little bit easier and faster, uh, or I live under a rock. Mm. <laughs> and it's like it's just like it's such a stark contrast. I'm like, man, but but when I like when I ask myself, I'm like, what could be the reason why? I was like, we we've totally over rotated, and it's it's now become this thing where like it's an all or nothing, and I don't think it has to be that way. I really like that. You just made a statement that I haven't heard somebody say before. And we've spent so much time talking, and I am so old, I'm just surprised. But you just said, how do we define what data really has to be private? Yeah. Like, th- and it's this objective lens on it. It's not like I'm paranoid, I don't want to share stuff. It's like from an objective perspective, right? What data should you never be asked to share, right? And, and if I do share it, it's in a very, very private context. It's not one of the menu select buttons and the reject all sort of category. Yeah. Things. I was, I was actually just going to look it up. I'm not even going to bother. Uh, but I, um, uh, we had a conversation around, uh, PHI yeah. today. It was, uh, and someone was asking like, what is PHI? I was like, well, it was very, very clearly spelled out. And someone sent over a list of, it was, I don't know, it's like 25 or 30 different like artifacts on there, but I'm going through, I'm like, that is not PHI. Email address is not PHI. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's, it's PHI. Like, it's, like, it's all that stuff in there. I'm like, yeah. that's that's not it. And they're like, how is this different than PI? I'm like, that's a fan, that's an even better question. Right on. That's that's like that's the question you want to ask. Um, but I'm saying, like, let's strip out all that stuff. Like strip all the stuff that shouldn't be in that list. And like people don't really care about. Right. Um, and and now all of a sudden I can consume services in a like in a private way. Yeah, I thought that I think that's great. So I, th- I think this, the clarity here comes from an understanding of the data privacy is not binary. I'm going to stick with your words, right? It, it, it's not this, this, this algebraic equation that says all or nothing. And it also, I don't think, is sort of like the, the GDPR-driven menu list of radio buttons, like, doesn't mean anything to me. It's a mess. And the standards, to your point about PHI, like HIPAA saying, if it's PHI, you're in trouble, even if it doesn't mean anything, because it just gets people to over-rotate. So yeah. I think it's great. So point of point of clarity, you know, you have a right to consume services without having to share all of your data indiscriminately. You should have some control. Yeah, you 100% should. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, which I think makes the next one even easier. Notice an explanation. Yeah, yeah. 
right? I'm saying if you philosophically take that approach for data privacy and don't over-rotate, now, now notice and explanation gets one million times a year. And in some cases, it's not even applicable. You right. say, like, I'm, I'm only going to notify you if you actually have the very sensitive information. And, and I think the impact on the AI discussion, right, around, around this, notice and explanation, is that if an AI provider is generating a composite of information from multiple sources, then they have to take on responsibility for recognizing that three different things get stolen and suddenly you're exposed in a new way. Yeah. Right? That they, if they're going to combine that data, they should take responsibility. It's like if you're going to be able to purchase certain kinds of chemicals, if they can be mixed together in a way that's very, very bad for people, then you take responsibility for making sure that doesn't happen, that they're stored separately, they're not traveling in the same truck, all that business, right? I think that that, for me at least, is one of the real clarifying outputs from notice and explanation is, as opposed to just data privacy in general, which, which we talked a little bit about, which is everything from social media to retailers, notice and explanation, I think the responsibilities change for an AI provider because they will generate conclusions based on disparate data sources. So you could have given the right amount of permissions to the different people, they come together in a way that if there is now a problem and they have to give notice, then they have to take responsibility for understanding what that composite effect could yeah. be. We have a term for that. Oh. It's called doxing. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, yes. We promise not to dox you. Yeah, exactly right. Or, or if somebody is combining it all together and now they have all that information on you to let you know you're more exposed than you would have been with any one, of, you know, the one and one is three. Yep. Cool. All right. So last one? Yeah, last one, which is which talks about the human alternatives. Like if I hate the result or I don't like the process, I as a I as a person have um, recourse. I can do something else. I don't know how practical this is. When I think about the beauty of the work that we've done before in AI, right? The the glory of the throughput I can use with a well-trained model, right? The improved efficiencies. One of the reasons why like for our industry is really important is the volume. And, and supposing that a similar sort of system is one in which there should be a human alternative, I think is really, really hard. And I don't know for a fact, I don't know exactly what this means as they describe it. Yeah. You should be able to opt out where appropriate and have access to a person who can quickly consider and remedy problems you encounter. So if I ask you in that random forest algorithm, it's just shows that this was the best solution for you. And you say, well, why? It says, the answer is going to be because the algorithm says so. Yeah. Right? These are these most, I won't say most anymore. When we when I did the work I did a number of years ago in it, algorithms were pretty much opaque. Right? They do their training. They can, You can't tell what characteristic or what feature that was extracted is actually the driving force for a decision that gets made. So at, going in as a human and saying, but wait a minute, but why this? I don't think it's rational to ask some human to figure that out. No. And... Yeah, they're, and they're never going to be able to see, even if they understood the algorithm, they'll be like, well, because you have a triple nested node that is indicating this response. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, that's not good. Um, but one of the statements stands out here that's kind of like a non starter for me. Um, you should be able to opt out from automated systems in favor of a human alternative or appropriate. I would love that. That'd be totally great. Mm. Cost of service would be like a zillion dollars. We don't even have that in healthcare now. <laughs> There's a lot of places yeah. you call you can't get to a human. No. No, forget about making an appointment. Right. And it's not AI. That's just... No, I feel like it's... Um, and the reason it would be a... Artificial irritation. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah just wrap on that. Um, this is just... 
it, it wouldn't work, right? It's kind of getting away from all this. And I, I think I'd like to just make a really quick closing statement on this. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not extremely excited about the fact that this is called a Bill of Rights, right? So the, the, the idea that, that rights are inalienable, and if they are existing rights that are inalienable, they continue to exist. AI does not participate in an abrogation of those rights for me, right? Secondly, and this is why I was hoping these documents and, and the White House's effort in general, God bless them, would bring, bring more clarity than just sort of more noise, is that nobody knows what the hell we're talking about, right? They just don't understand it. Yeah. And now telling people that they have a right to X, and this thing, it says they have a right to safety, they have a right to, um, to privacy, they have a right to a human. They have none of those rights, actually. That is not a reasonable expectation to place on AI as an industry or to put in the minds of the people. Because now when it doesn't happen, they're going to feel as though whoever didn't give it to them has basically failed to perform. Yeah. And so for me, I think both of these documents that we've talked over the last two shows were well-intentioned. But it felt a little like they just wanted to get to market with them fast. A lot of talk about it election year, let's get out there and make it look like we're standing at the front of the parade. And I think the problem is nobody has any damn idea what's in the parade. And nobody has any idea what the parade route is. Right. Right. I said they don't even know where it is. And, 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 but they're out there saying, like, this is us, and we're, we are going to help to champion this. And I understand the political realities of our world. I understand that um, demonstrating an interest in this is important. But I really wish that they had focused, and at least in these early efforts, at first defining what the hell we're talking about before they started defining and how it gets implemented. You have to define it so you can get to the level of specificity you need to write an appropriate Bill of Rights. The one that immediately comes to mind is, uh, I think it was the one JetBlue write for like the passenger Bill of Rights. It was like, that was actually written by someone who understands the industry and understands the passenger challenges. Right on. Had enough level of specificity where someone would be like, okay, I understand this. It's been over four hours. I'm entitled to whatever it is. Right on. And they know how to re request it and everything that comes Process with it. Process behind it, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're pretty far from that. For, for all the reasons you just said. 100%. That was a great example and a positive one. Good. All right. Anything else on this one? I'm good. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, liked it, please share it with all your friends. Uh, please share it with 10 people that are closest to you and get them listening to all of it. And then... Tell them to share with 10 of their friends also, and then we're quickly at uh, a scale that is pretty awesome and great and allows Jack and I to keep doing these things. So we'll get you on the next episode after you share it with 10 of your friends. Mm -hmm.